been with us for some weeks, you might be catching on to some of the trend. We've been doing this series called How Sweet the Sound, and today we're going to talk about a song that I love. It's a contemporary song. came out some years back, not too long ago, by a group called Vertical Church Worship. It's called Lamb of God. We just sang it. Beautiful song. To simply read through the lyrics of this song is a refreshing thing for me. Because it is, from top to bottom, in my opinion, just the gospel. And if ever I need a reminder of the magnitude of the gospel, I love to listen to this song. Love to listen to this song. So, to get us started, I just want to read through some of the lyrics. Maybe you caught them while we were singing. Maybe you're like me and sometimes... You can be singing and not really know what you're singing, kind of thing. So here we go. Let's just try to read these through. I got some slides to go along with them. Uh, verse one says this You came from heaven's throne, acquainted with our sorrow, to trade the debt we owe your suffering for our freedom. Verse two says, My name upon your heart, my shame upon your shoulders, the power of sin undone, the cross for my salvation. And in this beautiful chorus, it says, The Lamb of God in my place, your blood poured out, my sin erased. It was my death you died. I am raised to life. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. That's the gospel. It's so good and it's seemingly simple. But yet this truth that's found in this song and heralded throughout Scripture is of such great magnitude. It should be what excites us. It should fill us with this overwhelming joy to rejoice in the Lamb of God. But if I'm going to be honest with you this morning, which I'm going to try my best, unfortunately there are days where this powerful message just kind of seems to slip my mind, fall into the background. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. I hope you do, otherwise I might be the only one, and that would be embarrassing. But I have a good feeling that I'm not the only one. We've heard this Lamb of God stuff before. It's in Scripture, it's something we like to say in church. We talk about the Lamb of God. And sometimes we can say something so much that we get really good at saying it without attaching its meaning to it. It comes a little empty. And so today, if there's no other goal that I have today, it's just simply that we would have a renewed spark for understanding Jesus as the Lamb of God. What that means for us. And how that should be something that propels us every day to live for the glory of God without question. So to do that, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 22. Before we get into that, I would ask that we pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank You for worship this morning. Lord, let us not take for granted that You have allowed us to be here today. As the church, Your people, called to love, to serve, and called for no other reason but the simple fact that You are love. 
Thank you, God, for loving us in spite of how undeserving we may be. I pray that today as we go through Scripture that you would just reveal your truth to us, reveal yourself to us, God, and help us to see the magnitude of your love. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 22. Go ahead and open up there with me. Uh, We're going to be talking about Abraham. This particular part uh, of, of Abraham's story in Genesis is huge. It's a big deal. You see, Abraham was the guy who, I believe it was chapter 12 in Genesis, where God calls him to go. He says, go to a land that I'm going to show you. By the way, leave all your family and stuff. Go, go to a land I'm going to show you. The land that I'm going to show you, I'm going to give it to you. We find out that it's Canaan, and so he's promised this land. He's promised a seed. He's promised a son and an heir, which is a big deal. If you've read anything in Genesis about Abraham and, and Sarah, you understand that she was barren. And not only barren, but both of them were old. And so this seemingly impossible promise was given to Abraham. And if we go forward just a little bit, after some little things, we see Abraham stumble a little bit in his faith when he lies about Sarah and says that she's his sister. Well, it's not the whole truth anyway. And then we get to the point, because Abraham is... God is growing Abraham's faith throughout all of this stuff. And then we get to the point where Isaac is born. And that's a big deal. Because at that point, she's, Sarah's older than she was by, by a lot. She's older than she was when God first promised all of these things to Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah had already tried to take matters into their own hands out of their lack of faith, believing they could contribute something to the promises of God. And we see the birth of Ishmael. And God says, no, that's not the one. I will give you a son. Sarah is going to bear this son. And so Isaac is born. And so Abraham, with all that he's gone through, he's a man of faith. He, if anyone else, definitely grew through what he went through. Which, that is not my own. I saw that on Facebook one day. I'm just going to be completely honest. It's really good. We grow through what we go through. There's a lot of truth to that. And Abraham's a really good example of this. And so we get to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 1 says this, After these things God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham! And Abraham replies, Here I am. The Lord said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So just right off the bat, if you've heard this preach before, I think everybody does about the same thing, but for me, I always have this reaction at this point of, what? Lord, you want me to do, you want Abraham to do what? 
And see, if I try to put myself in Abraham's shoes, I know that I would, I would not do well with this. If the Lord came to me and said, hey man, I want you to take Joshua up the road, about a three day trip, I want you to sacrifice him. <laughs> yeah, good one, Lord. It's awesome. But Abraham seemingly doesn't even hesitate. Look at verse 3. Because in verse 3, we don't see this dialogue like we've seen in the past between Abraham and God. In the past, we've seen Abraham just kind of get into this, you know, excuse, woe is me, you know, I'm not, Lord, I can't do that, I'm not good enough, all that kind of stuff. But here, we don't see that at all. We go straight into verse 3, and it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So Abraham just simply obeys. And if there is any conflict in Abraham, we don't see it here in Scripture. So for me, I wonder, was there any conflict? Well, maybe. Maybe not. But if we read in Hebrews, I think we get a little light here. And so exactly what might have been going through Abraham's mind at this point. You see, you, you grow through what you go through, right? Abraham's been through a lot. God promised Isaac. Isaac's born. And I truly believe, along with the writer of Hebrews, that Abraham saw something greater in this command that the Lord had given him than simply the end of his son Isaac's life. I believe that he saw that God could fulfill his promises even if Isaac died. As a matter of fact, Hebrews would put it this way, Abraham trusted and believed that the Lord could raise his son from the dead. So the faith that Abraham has here is something that I can't even imagine. I'm just going to be real with you. I've not gone through any of that stuff. I just, I can't even. Part of me wants to believe that, you know, if the Lord Himself showed up and asked me, like in person, that it would be different, and maybe it would. I don't know. But Abraham's faith is astonishing. We get to verses 4-6, through six. it says this, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took, his, took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. Once again, just a display of Abraham's faith. If you caught it, when Abraham tells his young men that they're going to go up this mountain, he tells them that he and Isaac are going to go worship and then they are going to come back again. They are going to come to you again. So once again, I believe the writer of Hebrews is dead on here. Abraham saw the big picture. He may not have known exactly how all this was going to play out, 
But he had faith in a God who had promised him. He had faith in a God who he knew to be, at this point in his life, a promise keeper in a big way. Isaac himself is a great example of God's promise keeping with Abraham. So he puts the wood on, the, on, uh, on Isaac carry. Abraham takes the knife. And we get to verses 7 through 8. Things start heating up a little bit. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Then Isaac says, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? See, I like to put myself in Isaac's shoes here. Because by all indicators, it has taken Isaac a three days journey and halfway up the mountain to figure out that they've got everything they need for a sacrifice except the lamb. I wonder what's going through his mind right now. And how does Abraham respond? He just simply says this, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then what? It seems as though Isaac was fine with that response. So they went, both of them together. And at this point, I'm going to take a little tangent because I think this is really important. We see a family dynamic here that is awesome. You have to understand that Isaac has watched Abraham. As Isaac has grown up, he has seen Abraham be faithful to God. He has seen Abraham trust in the Lord. He has seen Abraham at the pinnacle of Abraham's faith as far as his spiritual journey is concerned. And so, you can imagine a son who has seen his father. He's so faithful. He's so trusting in the Lord. And to never really waver on that. I can see why Isaac is completely okay with that answer. So parents, don't undermine the opportunity you have with your kids to live out your faith in front of them. Don't have a closet faith. Don't have a closet faith. Let your kids see you trust the Lord. They need to know how this works. God made the family for that very reason. When He says be fruitful and multiply, He's not just talking about having a bunch of babies. He's talking about multiplying faith. Be fruitful and multiply God-fearing people. So, get us back on track here. Isaac, he asks Abraham about the lamb for the burnt offering, and Abraham responds by saying, God will provide the lamb. And this is all very deep. And Isaac, once again, just kind of takes this in stride, and then we get to verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. At this point, I think Isaac, if I were Isaac, man, you know, I'd, I'd you know, trust in Abraham, trust in my father. He's awesome. 
but now you got me bound up in a rope, Dad, and I'm laying on this pack, this stack of wood, and I'm not so sure anymore. At least that's me. I don't know exactly what's going through Isaac's mind at this point, but it just seems crazy. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't wait to have this discussion with Isaac in heaven. Y'all going to be talking to Abraham. I'm going to be sitting down interviewing Isaac. So what was it like going up the mountain? You're standing there holding this wood, and maybe you're holding the rope or whatever, and you see your father, he's building this altar, and you know that you're going to burn sacrifice. That's what y'all are there for. You're going to worship the Lord. And then he takes the wood out of your hands. He makes it all pretty. And then he grabs the rope and proceeds to bind you up. What is, what is that like? What is going through your mind, Isaac? I don't know if there's any struggle here. I don't know if Isaac just trusts his father that much. I don't know if the Lord has just himself given them a peace about this at this point. I don't know. But by all indicators, Isaac did not know he was going to be on the menu until the very moment he's bound up and put on the altar. And so I wonder. I wonder how Abraham deals with this. Like, how do you even, like, Abraham's got so much faith. And we've already discussed this faith that Abraham has. But if I can just for a second, if I were in his shoes, I just would not be able to do this. Like, I would have had problems with just the beginning of the story. That would have been, that would have been an issue for me. And if I'd have said, you know, well, okay, we'll try this out, you know, maybe I'd be thinking, you know, well, maybe the Lord will do something between here and there, and, you know, it's going to be fine. If I get to the mountaintop and I have my son bound up in rope on an altar and a knife is laying there, I'm not so sure I'm ready to take that knife and hold it over him about to gut him. That sounds crazy to me. But... Once again, I'm not Abraham. I haven't gone through what Abraham's gone through. God has not called me to Abraham's life. I'm a firm believer that the Lord prepares us to walk in faith and be obedient at the right time, all for His glory. You may be going through something right now where you're struggling with your faith. But believe me, trust the Lord that He lets you go through these things so that you can have more faith and more faith and more faith. God is always moving you towards growth in your faith through every trial, every failure, and every success. So, Isaac's on the altar. Bound up in a rope. And then verse 11 happens. In verse 10, Abraham's got the knife. He's about to slaughter his son. And here comes verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy. Or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Whew. 
Y'all ever been to see like a really good thriller? Like that's this, you know? You get to this point and if you can try to just read it with fresh eyes and fresh ears, man, the suspense at this point. What in the world is about to happen? But I love this. Look at verse 13. The angel of the Lord speaks to him, and in verse 13, Abraham lifts his eyes. He looks, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What a beautiful moment. What a relieving moment. What a beautiful story. And Abraham has this great faith all the way through. If you remember, I mentioned that sometimes I can I seemingly take my eyes off the prize, if you will. Sometimes I, I don't behold the fullness of the gospel. For whatever reason, maybe the situation around me has just gotten a little hairy. Maybe I'm being a little too self-centered at the moment. For whatever reason, it happens. I just want to talk a minute about that. Here's a statement to get us going in the right direction. This will be on the screen. We fail to understand Christ's atoning sacrifice when we give ourselves too much credit and misunderstand the nature of our debt. I'll read that one more time. We fail to understand Christ's atoning sacrifice when we give ourselves too much credit and misunderstand the nature of our debt. And it happens to the best of us. We may sing a song like Lamb of God and not really connect with it because of this issue. We may call ourselves Christians and feel like we only know half the story because of this. Because yeah, we believe in the Lord, we believe in this Lamb of God stuff, but maybe we don't quite understand what all of that means in its fullness. Too often we give ourselves too much credit and we misunderstand the nature, the magnitude of our debt. So we're going to take a look at another set of Scriptures here in Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn there with me if you'd like. I'll have the Scripture on the screen. We'll start with verse 1. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. These three verses, just about as good a set of verses as any in Scripture that describe who we are, without Christ. But see, sometimes we forget this. We forget the magnitude of our debt. We forget. And we give ourselves too much credit. 
looking at all the supposed good in us. And we miss this. This describes Isaac without the atonement. See, so often people like to compare Isaac to Jesus, but I'm going to tell you right now that's really not the best comparison. Although, yes, Isaac goes up the mountain carrying the wood on which he's going to be sacrificed. Yes, Isaac is the promised son of Abraham. There's a lot of parallels there. But the big difference is that Isaac was born in sin. And if Isaac's going to get out of dying on that altar that day, he's going to need an atonement. He's going to need a sacrifice to die in his place. Which is exactly what we get in Genesis 22 with the ram caught in the thicket. Isaac is not being paralleled with Jesus. Isaac is the promised seed, the chosen one. He's being paralleled with us, the church. We are like Isaac. We deserve that punishment. As Ephesians 2 verse 3 puts it, we were by nature children of wrath, which literally means that we were children deserving of wrath. We deserved it. Romans 6.23 says this very clearly, for the wages of sin is death. If we go on, Romans 3.23, the wage comes a little, becomes a little more serious when we understand that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And the, and the sum of all of those parts brings us to the conclusion that along with Isaac, we all deserve the wages for our sin. We all deserve death. That's where we all start. We fail to understand Christ's atoning sacrifice when we give ourselves too much credit. And we misunderstand the nature of our debt. If we miss this, we fail to understand just how infinitely more sinful we are than God who is sinless. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus die on the cross? You may respond with, because He loved us. I get this from my kids, and that is a great answer. Don't get me wrong, I love that answer. Yes, it is, because He loved us. It's amazing. However, we often just kind of stop there. We don't reach beyond to answer the, the real question behind the curtain of how could He have loved us? Yeah, Jesus died on the cross because He loved us, but how? I think sometimes we miss the mark because, and I'm guilty of this, we get to a place where somehow we have convinced ourselves that even in the slightest bit, we deserve the love of God. Now, I believe that Jesus loves you. But there's a big difference between the question, does Jesus love you, and should Jesus love you? As Scripture rings out, there is nothing within us that deserves any part of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Not a single thing within us that deserves that love, that deserves that 
magnitude. I mean, going to the cross and dying in our place. We did not earn that. The only thing we contributed to that whole scenario was the fact that we couldn't do it ourselves. That's it. So we must be very careful when we consider the gospel that we don't give ourselves too much credit. And if time allows, which, you know what, I'm kind of running a little over, but it's okay. Here we go. Student ministry illustration, because I'm a student pastor. So y'all hang on. All right, this little sheet of paper here. We're going to talk about misunderstanding the magnitude of our debt. All right, so we're going to say that this piece of paper represents God's character. All right, it's blank. Right, blank, Pastor Jimmy? That's blank? That's blank. Okay, so it's blank. I want to make it disappear, turn into a rabbit. I'm just kidding. So, this is the standard. This is it. You want to get into heaven, you have to be this. So here we are. I got another one here. Okay, that's small enough. Can y'all see that? No, you can't. But Jimmy, is there a little mark on that paper? Come on, Jimmy. Come on now. Yes. Yes. So let me ask you the question. This is pass fell, okay? Is this one the same as this one? And a little mark that you can't even see made the difference. That is the holiness of God. Here's God. Here's us. Or at least me. Probably times 10 or 20 or 100 or something like that. So then it doesn't matter how good you are when you live this life. We are all born in sin. I love to ask my students, how many of you were taught to lie? I always get a few students that are smart, Alex, and they raise their hands. But if you think about it, no one has to teach you to do that stuff. My son, I love him to death. He doesn't even know a lot of words yet. But he knows what no means. Right? He'll go to do something. I'll say, no, Joshua, don't do that. And he'll just look at me and he'll just keep on walking because he's going to do it anyway. He's just wanting to see if I'm about to get up and come after him before he gets there. We're born with this bent to sin. So what do we do about it? What's the fix? Really, there's... Nothing we can do. We're like Isaac. We're bound up on the altar. We can't free ourselves from this debt. We can't wipe ourselves clean. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Love this part. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Mm. And raised us up with Him 
and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Man, that's good. You see, we were once debtors. We were once dead men, according to Ephesians. Dead in our trespasses. And who saved us? God Himself provided the sacrifice. Just as Abraham said, God will provide for Himself a sacrifice. That sacrifice is Jesus. We're saved by the grace of God, a favor that's extended to a people who do, we don't deserve in the least. You see, the Lamb of God is the epitome of the infinite love of God for an infinitely, infinitely undeserving people. My hope today is that you walk away singing this chorus. The Lamb of God in my place, your blood poured out, my sin erased. It was my death you died. I am raised to life. Hallelujah. The Lamb of God. And I pray that when you sing that over, that you're encouraged. Because we've talked about a lot of doom and gloom about how we're terrible, okay? I got that. But here's the magnitude of God's love. Because we miss it. If we give ourselves the slightest little bit of credit, we have shrunk the cross and made it seemingly insignificant. The beauty of God's love is that He loved you in spite of your sin. And your salvation is made possible because of what He did, not because of what you've done. What does that mean for you? You can't fail at this. I love that. I can't screw up my salvation because I didn't make it to begin with. The Lord sent the Lamb of God in my place. So that like Isaac, the rope, what had bound to me, falls to the ground as I get off the altar and walk in freedom and worship the Lord as my response. So, maybe you, like today, have gone through the time that you felt underwhelmed by the Gospel. It happens to all of us. We get in this rut. We just get stuck. Maybe you, like Abraham, or like the disciples, maybe you feel that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to the Father today. Wherever you are, this time that we're about to have where we're going to have the song, it's for you. You can do whatever you need to do, wherever you want to do that. You can do it right there where you're at, sitting down, standing up. You can do it on your head if you want. People might look at you. But whatever you want to do, whatever you feel that the Lord is calling you to do, this is your time, your time to be obedient, your time to have faith, your time to trust the Lord 
Why? Because everyone who believes in the Lamb of God will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Lamb. I pray that we would never lose the wonder of Your Gospel. But just how merciful You've been to us, a people who don't deserve Your love, and yet You have loved us by sending Your Son on the cross for us. Lord, when we sing these words now or in the future, when we see this, this phrase, Lamb of God, in any place, Lord, let us be reminded not only of the magnitude of our debt, but of how great Your love is for us, that You would overcome such debt, such infinite debt. Thank You for loving us even when we didn't love You. God, I pray that in this moment, in this time, that as You're dealing with the hearts of people, whether they are Yours, and You're dealing with, maybe it's a rededication, you're just trying to get back on track. Or maybe it's someone here today who has heard the Gospel, or maybe they haven't heard the Gospel before today, and they feel that You are calling them to believe. Whatever it may be, Father, I pray that by the power of Your Spirit, lives are changed today for the rest of eternity. Lord, we love You. We praise You. It's all in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.